Amen. We have had such a great Christmas this year, and a lot of it has to do with our worship team and our praise band last Sunday night. Give them a hand for all they've done for us. It is so special to be here. Uh, As I begin this morning, I need a little help. I need all children three years old through third grade to come up here on stage, stand on the edge of the stage, and I'll be so. Some of you children, if you'll uh, put a little peer pressure by coming down. Come stand right here, my guys. Come on, rest of you. Come on down. Third, three-year-olds to third. Man, that man is in a rush. Yes. Come on down. Wow, this is looking better and better and better. All right. Just, just line up on the edge. I'm going to be asking you questions. You're going to have to raise your hand. There you go. Get right by sister. She is going to be nice. Man, we got a lot more kids in second service, all right? Okay, we got we to gotta cover the preliminaries. Everybody look at me, okay? Preliminaries just for a second. I need to ask you a question. How many of you have been naughty and how many of you have been nice, okay? If you've been nice, raise your hand. If you've been naughty, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> We better go back here and search this one. Oh, man, you're too beautiful to have been naughty, all right? Let me ask this question. Um, What do you want for Christmas? Raise your hand if you can tell me. What do you want? Um, I want an iPad. An iPad? This is a technology group. How about you, sweetheart? Starbucks gift card. Man, that's pretty cool. How about you, sir? Pokemon cards. Say it again. Pokemon cards. Pokemon cards. All right, over here. Yes, what do you want for Christmas? A Chick-fil-A gift card. <laughs> Man, I'd like, to, I'd like to be your parent, okay? That, that, that's pretty nice. Oh, he's, he's repenting. What do you really want? Panda Express gift card. <laughs> there we go. Okay, just a couple more. What do you want for Christmas? A go-kart. Now that's a good gift. All right, how about you? A hoverboard. A hoverboard. Wow. You got... Now let me ask you a question. Um, any of you trying to find your presents? Maybe mom and dad have bought you and you've been looking around the house trying to find them. Anybody been looking? I mean, this is an open church. You can be honest. Okay. Okay, here's a question really quick. Um... Anybody found any of your presents? Just go ahead and confess it. <laughs> yes, mom and dad, you better hide better. Now, here's, the, here's our, our big question for today. What is the best Christmas gift of all time? Someone raise your hand. Okay. What's four-wheeler. The, a four-wheeler. <laughs> Man, not what the preacher wanted to hear yet. That's be, the best Christmas gift in last service, the little girl said iPhone. Okay? What do you think the best Christmas gift is? Jesus being born for us. Oh, would you say that loud? Should everybody hear? Jesus being born for us. Yeah, that's the best Christmas gift ever, right? Okay, give these guys a hand. And as they come off the stage, join me in singing Jesus Loves the Little Children. Jesus loves the little children. Thank you. Oh. Have I made the worship team? No. 
He said yes, first service, but I shocked him. Okay. Wow. Love Christmas and uh, love children with Christmas. I want to start off with the passage. It's not your normal Christmas passage, but I really love, I think it can sum up a lot of what we want to say today. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Verse 11 through 13, chapter 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? And then listen to what Jesus said. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that. He says, you guys don't even have it together, and yet you know how to give good gifts. Your Heavenly Father is perfect, and He will give the very best gift. So, let's talk about this just for a second. Christ is the best gift. He's the very best gift. You know, as as you're planning your Christmas, please do not forget that the best gift you give your children will not be under the tree. The best gift you could give your children and grandchildren is the gift of yourself. And that's what God gave when Jesus came to this earth. I I, I love uh, the dad that's exasperated Christmas Eve. Everything's going crazy, buying too many gifts. Kids are not behaving. So finally, before they go to bed, he said, tomorrow we're going to have the best Christmas ever. And the little boy said, Dad, there's no way to improve on the first Christmas. And there absolutely isn't. It's the best Christmas. Why? Because God gave himself. That's the greatest gift. You know, as you grow in the Lord, you'll mature from being most excited about the different things God gives you to finally you'll land on my greatest blessing is not what he gives me, it's he is with me. So he's the best gift. He's also the perfect gift. You know, don't you love it when you pick out a gift for someone you love and they unwrap it and you immediately know you've nailed it i mean they're just so excited about it they immediately say wow thank you so much and this is just what i wanted just what i needed not like this middle-aged woman who's got a sort of slow husband and so she decides that she's going to post her christmas gift list which she wants from him on the refrigerator and number one on the list is something that makes me beautiful and sexy And so she's anticipating Christmas Day, they go unwrap, and and she's expecting maybe a little box with lingerie or a little box with jewelry, and and the box she brings in is really big, and she thinks he's just trying to to fool me. And so she unwraps the box, and what her husband had given her to be beautiful and sexy was a bicycle. (laughs) Not what you want to give. Sometimes you just absolutely blow it, unless it was a Peloton, and you already look good when you get it, okay? So, Jesus is the perfect gift. You know, as you grow in being a gift giver, you learn to not give people the gifts that you would want. I I used to like to give, give, this is what I'd like, so I assume you, as you grow in being a gift giver, you start giving people what they want and what they need. And that's what Jesus did. And he did it on a perfect level. He is the perfect son of God. He doesn't make mistakes in what he gives. Guys, we're all prone to make mistakes. That's a nice word for it. Have I been so embarrassed since last Sunday in first service? I announced the death of a woman's father who had not died. 
I just named the wrong name. Can you imagine if you're home and all of a sudden you get all these condolence texts like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. And then you find out your preacher did that. Guys, we, we all make mistakes. You know what? God makes no mistakes. He's perfect at it. And so today, we can go back to sort of the introduction passage of the Christmas story. And as we read through this, I want you to search for the perfect gift. I, I like the boy who said to his mom, Mom, we got to go back to Santa Claus. She said, well, why? He said, I, I got to tell him something. She said, what are you going to tell him? I've got to tell him to not get me that train set I asked for. I've already found it in the top of Dad's closet, all right? And guys, you know, our children just confessed up here that they search for gifts. I want to ask you this Christmas, as we read this passage, to search for what makes Jesus the best and perfect gift. And I, I'm going to make it pretty easy. I'm going to highlight three of the words that you're going to see in this passage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that's not good news, not, not if you're Joseph. I mean, and not if you're Mary trying to explain it. And it's obvious in this passage, when Mary says, Joseph, the Holy Spirit is why I'm pregnant, he doesn't believe it. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law, yet it did not want exposure to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph's a really great guy, and he's not going to make a scene out of it, despite the fact she's embarrassed him. So God has intervened. But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because, it's the truth, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you've been paying attention there, what I've highlighted is names that describe this perfect gift. You see, in Jesus' day, a name was so significant. A name would tell you who you were and what your character was like. And so we find four names in this passage. Number one is the name Emmanuel. That's one of my favorite. Emmanuel. What, what does it mean? God is near. That's please never get over what a crazy, great story this is. That our God in a millisecond, became a microcell in the womb of a teenage girl in the middle of Israel. I love the way John 1.14 puts it, if you look that with me just a second. John 1.14 says very clearly that the Word became flesh, He made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, he came near enough, first of all, for us to see him. Guys, think, think about this story. I, I like the message translation of the passage we just looked at. God became flesh. He's wrapped in flesh, God. That's what he's wrapped in. He, he became flesh and bones and blood. And as the message says, 
he moved into our neighborhood. Can you imagine if you're home one night and your husband comes home and says, hey, there's a new family that just moved in the neighborhood. We got, I want you to meet them. I just met them when I drive, drove in from work. And you go, what are they like? You say, well, everything's pretty normal, but their eight-year-old son is God. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Have you gone crazy? And yet that, if you lived in the neighborhood of Mary and Joseph, you could point across the street and say, God lives over there. He came that near, and we got to see what God was like. 1 John chapter 1, John recounts years later, I saw him with my eyes, I felt him with my hands. He was God in the flesh. So crazy. Years ago, I love this old story, but back when the Soviet Union and America were racing in the space race, the Russians were first ahead of us. And they sent a cosmonaut who was able to circle the earth. We had never done that. And so when he came back to earth, he was trying to make fun of America with lots of different answers. And one of the answers was to make fun of our belief in God. And here's what the cosmonaut said. I looked all through the heavens and I never saw God. He thought he was being quite funny. I think much better was the retort of W.A. Criswell the famous long-term preacher of First Baptist Church in Dallas. Here's what he said back to the cosmonaut. Tell him to step out of the spacecraft for five seconds and he will then see God. <laughs> Absolutely. And when Jesus is on this earth, we get the full revelation of God. Scripture says he's the exact representation of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I need this. Because sometimes I'm confused about God. You ever read some of those Old Testament stories where whole cities are slaughtered or the earth breaks open, you know, and swallows people? I mean, some of that makes no sense to me. Some of it makes me extremely uncomfortable. And if someone asks me to please explain that, I have a problem explaining it. Well, well, well how, do you, how do you work through that, buddy? You know what? I don't understand all that. And I, and I shouldn't be surprised that I don't understand everything about God. I, I'm not even on that level. But here's what I have landed on. If I want the complete picture of God, I always look to Jesus. You see, what's safe to say is I can't understand that story, but when God finally fully revealed himself and everything was evident, it was Jesus. So he's near enough for us to see. And second, he's near enough to empathize. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 said, He's been tempted in every way we are and yet was without sin. And here's the good news. Therefore, we can go to the throne of grace with boldness to find help in our time of need. Why? Because Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands what it's like to live on this earth. He understands the whole gambit of it. He begins as a baby born in a barn. He grows up as a child. He goes through those awkward middle school years. He grows up to be an adult, and he's crucified on a cross. Well, here's the good news. When you go to Jesus with your problems, because he came near, he never shakes his head and says, hey, buddy, I'd love to help you, but I just don't understand where you're coming from. I've never been there. He's been here. And so that brings us to the next one. He's near enough to help. That's what Hebrews 4 said. Because he understands what we're going through, he's the person that can help us. You know, you understand this. We understand this well in this church. If you are suffering from a drug addiction, 
you know the best person to help you is someone who's escaped that. If you're struggling from, from alcoholism, it's the alcoholic who's come through it by the grace of God who can help you. If you're struggling with depression, the person that can help you is the person that's never been depressed. It's the person that when you go, you know what, here's my problem, here's what's going on in life, and they say these two magical words, me too. I've been there. And guys, when you go to God, here's the good news. He says, me too. I've been there and I understand. So that's our first name. Boy, that reveals a lot about God. He's come near. Our second name is Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. The point there is that God is king. You know, okay, but I understood about Emmanuel, but, you know, we're, we're Americans, you know. We are independent. We, we don't let anybody tell us anything that we ought to do. Please answer this question. Why should I be excited about God ruling my life? I wouldn't let anybody come in my life and say, I want to be king. I've got absolute authority in your life. And that would be dangerous. Because in the history of the world, some of the worst things ever done happened through kings and even people that weren't kings but acted like it dictators. And I can remember as a kid growing up in history class hearing a phrase that really bothered me because they would talk about government and forms of government and they would say the most efficient form of government is a benevolent dictatorship. And that sounds weird. Why would they say that? Because we know today, just read the news, watch, watch the news, go on the internet. Our form of government is incredibly inefficient. Now, I love it, I believe in it, but right now we can't get anything done in our former government. You don't want efficiency? You put somebody's king, they just make a decision, it's done. Now, we're scared of that because we've seen it be so bad, but here's the difference, and here's why you might want to make Jesus your king. He is perfect. He is the benevolent king. He will not do anything but help you. In fact, listen closely to me. He will do a much better job running your life than you are. Here's the great news. If you're searching today for meaning in your life, you know, one approach is I'm just going to go try everything out there and see if it works. Well, number one, you don't have enough time in life. And number two, you are going to go up some dead-end streets. The better choice would be say, you know what? I believe that this baby is really the king of Christmas. And I'm going to submit my life to him because he's perfect and I can trust him. That's why, young people, you don't have to go down all these crazy streets to figure out what's right. It's been revealed by God in his word as Jesus becomes king. He's the perfect king. Now, while you're with me here, I want to ask you some questions to, to solidify that. Who knows you more than anybody else? Oh, excuse me, I, I would like an out loud answer, okay? Just make me feel good for a moment. Who knows you more than anybody else? You guys are still, are y'all with me today? Who knows you more than anybody else? Who knows more about you than you know about you? Who knows how many hairs are on your head? He does. Who knows how many pieces of dandruff on each strand? Oh, God. He, he, he knows everything, so, so please stay with me. Who knows what would make your life meaningful? God. Who knows what would make you happy? Who knows what would bring abundant life? He knows how you should behave to have the most out of this life. It's God. And that's why you need to make Jesus 
the king of your life because guys we don't do a good job running our life I mean you know if you're a parent today one of the worst things you could do for your child is give them everything they want and one of the worst things God could do for us is give us everything we want because sometimes I thought years ago I wanted something for my life that would have been awful for my life I think the theologian Garth Brooks summed it up best I thank God for what unanswered prayers because sometimes God's a good enough king to go you know buddy I know you really want that gift but it would be really bad for you number three Jesus God is the Savior that's what the word Jesus means he's the Savior Luke 19 verse 10 Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost how did he do it and give his life as a ransom for guess who all you see, Jesus came to this earth on a search and rescue mission. And what he's done for us is he's come to save us and renew us. You see, God gives, he's a good gift giver. So he gives the gift you need, not always the gift you want. Guys, if our greatest need was more information, God would have come as an educator. If our greatest need was more money, you might think that right now, God would have come as an economist. If our greatest need was more pleasure, God would have come as an entertainer. If our greatest need was to understand ourselves in life, he would have come as a counselor. But our greatest need, those are all nice needs, our greatest need is forgiveness, so Jesus came as a savior. So there's the three names mentioned in our passage. Emmanuel, Messiah, and Jesus. The fourth name is not verbatim in the passage, but it's written all over every verse. And that is the fourth name of God. He is love. God is love. You see, the question you got to back up and ask, guys, please, please stay with me right now, is why would he do this? I mean, why is he willing to put himself in such a crazy, vulnerable position to, to be a baby, to live in the dirt and filth of this world, to undergo temptation, to be hurt, to be rejected, to die the most cruel form of death known in his day? Because there's only one good answer, and that's that he loves us. Oh, his power was so great, he was able to come down. How crazy, he could shrink himself like that. His love was so great, he chose to come down. Now, like I say, there's a lot of things I don't understand about God, a lot of things that confuse me, sometimes about life, sometimes even about Scripture. But one thing I don't doubt, knowing the story of Jesus, is that he loves me. I love how Max Licato put it. If I... No, I have given, he says, I have given God a million reasons to not love me. And none of them have changed his mind. Don't you love that? Let me say that again because you may need to hear that today. I have given God a million reasons not to love me and none of them had changed his mind. Everybody in here right now, I want you to know one thing beyond a shadow of a doubt this Christmas is that God loves you. There's no other explanation for what he's done. So, Here's our question then this morning. What are we going to do 
with this gift. You know, the Bible says that it's a free gift. It's an indescribable gift. I mean, it's like God has wrapped himself in flesh. He's wrapped himself up, and he's given us a gift. Now, this Christmas, you know, you ever been through a Christmas, and when it's all over, there's still a gift under the tree that nobody opened? You think, what a shame. And we can't find the tag to know who it's from or who it's for? Guys, God has given you this amazing gift. Let me just close out by telling you what you need to do with this gift. Number one, you need to unwrap it and put it on. Just try it on. You know when I know I've given Stephanie the perfect gift? Is when the first thing she wants to do is go try it on. You know, if if she likes it enough, she goes, hey, I want to see what this looks like. Now, I know I've given the wrong gift when she says, do you still have the receipt, okay? (laughs) That's not a good sign. And so what God wants you to do is he wants you to unwrap the gift. He wants you just to unwrap. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, God gives you free choice. Some of you may walk out of this place and leave the gift under the tree, the cross. But what he wants you to do is he wants you you to unwrap it. But he actually says some things before you unwrap it. He says that there's great imagery in the New Testament about clothes, okay? And one thing Paul says is you need to put some things off, take some things off, and you need to put some things on, okay? So you start off by taking some things off, right? I mean, you got to shed some things. And you want to... Clear yourself up to receive exactly what God wants for you. Now, don't get scared. I'm not taking anything off, okay? <laughs> That's it, all right? So you got to take it. And then, then you unwrap the gift. What in the world is God going to give me? You unwrap it. You know what the Bible says? It's some cool imagery here. He said, you come to God through faith, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. All of us are saved by faith. And then he says... For, here's the parallel statement. You're saved by faith, for as many of you have, have been baptized, listen to this cool word, have clothed yourself with Christ. You put on new clothes. You now look to God the Father like Jesus, not like you. And so you unwrap the gift, and then you need to take the time to put it on, okay? Now, this, this is a joyful gift. Stay with me here for a second. Um, This is a gift that's worthy of celebration. Now, I've lost you on the analogy here because in the Bible, the gift's supposed to make you look like Jesus. Uh, This gift makes me look like Jeff Langham, okay? (laughs) Not a good swap, I hate to say. Okay, so so what do you do? You unwrap it, and then here's the next thing. That's, That's why I like the way this coat looks today. You need to enjoy this indescribable gift. You just need to enjoy it. You see, God came to give you this gift. Now, here's what I love the Bible says, because some of us think we need to earn it. It is a free gift. So, for instance, if you go to Christmas this year, and someone gives you an amazing gift, and you go, oh, you got just the right, this is what I wanted. What would you think if they said, can I pay you for that? <laughs> you go, no, this is... This is a gift. You don't pay for it. And yet some of us come to God, and God says, I'm going to give you this indescribable gift. And then I go out, and I try to work for it. And I say, God, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to prove my... You can't do that, guys. 
And you know what happens when we try to earn it, we try to work for it? We never enjoy it because you can never get there. But what grace says is when you put the gift on, you enjoy the gift. You don't say, I'll pay you for it. All that you will say is thank you. And all that you will do is just enjoy it. Now, this is what leads us to communion today. And I want you to make this, this turn with me. Guys, when we come to communion, that's what it's all about. It's a celebration. I'm not embarrassed to wear this loud coat to communion. Because I learned a long time ago, because I didn't grow up thinking this, was that communion is not to be a sad time for me to think about how bad I've been. Or even how bad Jesus hurt. Communion is a time the sacrifice has been offered. We are now eating of the fruit of the sacrifice, which says to us, here's the gift. It's wrapped in flesh and blood. We partake of a body. We partake of the blood. And guys, communion is meant to be an enjoyable time. It's not a time for you to feel guilty. It's a time for you to rejoice. It's a time for you to celebrate. It's a time for us simply to say to God, I could never earn this gift. I know I don't deserve it. I'm blown away. Thank you. Because he's given us a gift that's so perfect. The Bible says it's so incredible. And we've used a lot of words today, but none of them are adequate. We cannot describe it. But let me tell you what I'd like to challenge you to do today. It's just enjoy it. So listen closely to what I'm about to say. In just a moment, the worship team can come sing a song to prepare our minds for communion. It is awesome. Sums up everything we said in this message. And after they, they sing that, they're going to pray. And then we've got communion tables all throughout the worship center. None up front today because we're going to all meet up front. So what I want you to do is go take the bread and go take the cup. And on each table, there's candles. And after you got your candle and you've turned it on, we want to have a great family time. Because something else I learned about communion is that communion is not just my bubble time with me. It's family time with each other. And guys, you're going to have to really cooperate on this. We want you to come and just make a semicircle around this stage. We'll get one line, then we'll get two, then we'll get three. And then when we get past that, we want you to get in the pews. We don't, we don't want you all sticking out in the back. We want everybody to get as close up here as you can. And we're just going to enjoy God. Isn't that a crazy, great idea? I mean, you guys, let me say, this is for everybody here. It's like being on the Oprah Winfrey show, you know, when she gives out the car. Only, the only difference is this is a billion times better. And so we're, we're just going to enjoy the Lord. And we're going to enjoy each other. Now, here's what I want to add before we start. Not only will you enjoy this time, but God will enjoy this time. In fact, as a gift giver, you know, as you grow as a person, the greatest joy is not you getting the right gift. The greatest joy is when you nail it and you give the person you love the gift that's right. And here's what I want you to know this morning, that as God looks down here, and he sees us smile and praise him and enjoy the gift. 
there is no greater gift that we could give him. You know, as a parent, when you see your child just bust out in a smile, come over and hug you and give you a kiss on your cheek because they're so, that's what God's going to experience these next few minutes. So we're going to hear this song, we're going to pray, we're going to go to the tables, and then we're going to circle as close to the stage as we can and close out this service and celebration. Let's begin.